I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Long Game with LD and Leach. Welcome to The Long Game with LZ and Leach from The Recount, where every week we talk about the biggest stories in sports and how they impact culture, politics, and business. I'm LZ Granderson. He's my boy, Will Leach. That's right, LZ. And since we only have, sadly, two shows left for the end of the productions of this particular podcast, we're going to continue our no-holds-barred attack on everything that's wrong in the world and leave nothing unsaid. This podcast will be four days long. <laughs> you ever notice that no one ever says, we're going to hold the bars? Yeah. <laughs> I have to say, I walk around the world, I feel like a lot of people are holding bars. All right, LZ, we have a very full slate today, as always, as we should. We have two left. We got a lot to pack in. First, after a highly entertaining second round of the NBA playoffs finished on Sunday, we will preview the conference finals, which begin Tuesday night with the Heat taking on the Celtics in the East and in the West. The Warriors will host the Mavericks, is that right? As they kick off their series on Wednesday. One thing for certain, LZ, we are definitely going to be crowning a new champion this year, much to the chagrin of my son, William, who literally could not watch the end of Giannis and the Bucks losing. He asked me to turn it off, which I understood. Well, you can just let little William know that there actually isn't a new champion because all four teams have championships already. That's true. That's true. The, the, the Timberwolves are not. not <laughs> We've got the Timberwolves uh, hanging in there. Sorry about that, Minnesota. Oh, well. Then, in the wake of the grim news that the pre-trial detention in Russia of imprisoned WNBA star Brittany Griner has been extended for another month, we'll take a look at her case and discuss what may be coming next for the two-time Olympic champion. But truthfully, Will... No one seems to know what in the hell is going on. And people have been trying to avoid this situation. I'm just not sure this situation could have been avoided. And later, LZ and I will continue the discussion we had last week about the worst people in sports. LZ nominated, and I double nominated, by the way, LeBron James <laughs> hater Skip Bayless last week. And today we'll dig into my choice, fellow Texan, Dallas Cowboys owner, Jerry Jones. Ah, it's his world. We're just living in it. I know. That's why he's the worst person in sports. <laughs> then we'll wrap up the show with this week in sports history. And we're going to go back 38 years to the 1984 NBA draft when Michael Jordan was picked by the Chicago Bulls 
third, right behind Makima Lajuan and Sam Bowie. Well, you and I are tired of the who's the greatest of all time debate, which usually comes down to either Michael or LeBron, but no, 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 no. What I want to talk about is the biggest difference between the two superstars is really just that LeBron appears to be a happy guy and Michael looks plainly miserable all the time. How can that be? Well, Michael Jordan would tell you that smiling and enjoying life makes you lose your competitive edge. That's probably why I don't have a competitive edge. I'm just a happy guy. But before we get into all that, LZ, what is your penultimate sports mood? Oh, my sports mood. You know, I'll be honest with you, Will. It's difficult to kind of really put into words because while I'm trying to enjoy what has been a very entertaining postseason in the NBA and I'm trying to enjoy what has been a very inspired start to the Dodgers regular season in baseball, Mm -hmm. I can't get the mass shooting in Buffalo out of my head. And all of the pain, once again, that we are witnessing, many of us are living through, and then all of the pain that is being denied by Tucker Carlson and his kind. I don't want to, you know, make our second to last show all doom and gloom. So I'm not going to sit here and spend all of my time talking about that mass shooting, the hate crime really on Saturday. Mm-hmm. It's just another reminder why we need sports. I don't think sticking to sports is healthy, but I also don't think ignoring sports is healthy either. We need these breaks, right? We need... Mm-hmm moments of escape. We do need to be able to just laugh and unplug for a little bit. And so I found myself for most of the weekend, you know, particularly Sunday, keeping a watchful eye on results while also trying to make sense of another senseless act of racially motivated violence. And not just Saturday in terms of Buffalo, but the church on Sunday Mm -hmm. in the Los Angeles area was also a racially motivated hate crime. Chinese uh, immigrant versus a Taiwanese community. Mm -hmm. And so it's just, I'm grateful, I guess, is my sports mood. I'm grateful that there are sports there for us to occasionally unplug so that we don't have to spend all of our time trying to make sense of a senseless world. So that's just kind of where I'm at right now in this weird, icky, emotional place where I'm paying attention to Patrick Beverly. (laughs) I'm not just not passionate about it right now. Yeah, well, Patrick Beverly is doing everything he can to make sure that you pay attention to him. Uh, there's no yes, question about he is. That. Uh, God bless him. I think this is a thing that gets lost sometimes when we talk about politics and sports. And again, a large part of the foundational principle of the show was the idea that sports are interconnected to politics. You couldn't possibly tear them apart if you wanted to. That's totally true. But like, I get it, right? We talked about this a little bit with Roe v. Wade on the show last week about how a lot of athletes weren't speaking up as loudly we've seen them in the past on that. And on one hand, it's like, okay, well, I think the mood has changed a little bit in the sports world for the last couple of years. On the other hand, I do think this sports provides this for a lot of people and not just fans, to be entirely honest. I guarantee you that a lot of the people that are playing in these playoffs right now are thinking about what happened in Buffalo. I don't know how any human, any any American could not be. So the idea that somehow the real world is being ignored by sports when people concentrate on sports, I think you have to make those two things separate and realize that the world of sports are connected to politics, but it is also a solace from the scarier things in the world. And I think it can be both of those things. In fact, sometimes I think it has to be both of those things. It's the oddest of things, man, because think about this for a second. The NFL schedule came out this week, right? Mm-hmm. What's the first game of the season? Rams versus Buffalo. <laughs> and who just had two mass shootings in the same weekend? Buffalo and L.A., or at least the L.A. area. Yeah. So I don't know if the NFL is going to acknowledge this 
when the season starts. I'm sure there's a part of them that wants to be as, as celebratory as possible. It's the beginning of a new season. It's the acknowledgement of a new champion with the Rams. But for a lot of families in these two areas, they're still going to be grieving and mourning. And it will be interesting to see how the NFL chooses to handle that intersection if they choose to acknowledge it at all. I think it would be a travesty if they didn't, particularly what happened in Buffalo, because it's tied so much in terms of the discussions we've been having on the long game and many other podcasts have been having as well that isn't fearful of talking about sports and politics and life. So if anyone from the league is listening or anyone from the Rams or Buffalo organizations are listening, don't hide from this because the people who are your fans, they're not detached from this. So you shouldn't be as well. And the people that are your players are not attached from this. The people that work for you are not detached to this. And I think that's really the honest thing to kind of discuss here. I have to tell you, that's kind of where my sports mood is, to be entirely honest. The Buffalo shooting in particular hits on two central issues of American life, which is race and guns. That is actually the 30th, tied for the 30th, most deadly mass shooting in U.S. history. 21 of those have happened in the last 11 years. I think four happened in the previous century, five maybe. I know there's that old onion joke. There's no way to stop this from happening, says the only country where this happens. There was a great movie that came out last year called Mass, which was about the parents of a school shooter sitting down with the parents of one of the kids that they had shot. Mm. And it is very affecting and very upsetting, but it also speaks to the larger thing. Obviously, we focus on the victims, and of course we would. But like these things, as you kind of touched on when you talked about the NFL season, will last forever. Whether they lost someone, whether they knew they lost someone, it affects someone when they walk in the grocery store. It affects someone when they're black and just remember about this thing that just happened. These things are so wide ranging. And it's weird because in the last three years, there have been two other shootings that had this many casualties. And I challenged the viewers of Medium, can you name them? Do you remember this one? Do you remember this one? I suspect a lot of them didn't. And I think that's one of the more horrifying things about this. I do think this one is different, to be honest. The pure hatred behind this and the specific focus of that hatred, the influences that are clearly a part of the person that did this, I think have shed a light on it. But I mean, we've had so many of these, it just becomes numbing uh, in a way that is, I think, actually as horrifying as any part of it. All right. Fun sports mood. Okay, LZ, let's move on to our first big topic, which, alas, is not Albert Pujols pitching, which is really what I would like it to be, if I'm being entirely <laughs> honest. It is instead the NBA playoffs and our preview of the conference championships. Back to Curry. Curry a three. He got it. Market. Butler off the side of the rim. And again, out hustles all of the blue jerseys. And then... A dagger. Tatum spins, layup, bank shot. It's good. Jason Tatum putting on a show. Shot clock is down to four and a three by Luca. Bullseye. Got it. And he's got 30. And to channel a little Jimmy Johnson, the former Cowboy coach. How about Tim Mavericks? Wow. Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks are going to the Western Conference Finals. You just heard highlights from the four games that closed out an exciting, surprising, and often grueling second round of the NBA playoffs. LZ, the conference finals are set, and they're, it's fair to say, quite a bit different than many people had predicted. Boston, so freaking tired of Boston. 
They haven't been in the finals for a while. I'm still tired of them. Boston, after defeating Milwaukee in seven games, is in Miami to begin their series with the Heat on Tuesday night. And Dallas, after whew, uh, annihilating... Remember back when, in the early days of the blog internet, when every time John Stewart would go on some sort of rant, and it was John Stewart eviscerates, John Stewart <laughs> annihilates, John Stewart, whatever weird verb the Huffington Post writer came up with that day, whatever that verb was, that's what Dallas did to Phoenix on Sunday. Good Lord. But even with all that, I cannot wait for those series to get going. Elsie, which conference championship would you like to talk about first? I think we got to go east first. Okay. Since you're already hating on Boston, I like the team itself. No, no, no. I, I know. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. And as a, as a Lakers fan and as a Piston, the last thing I want is to right. see Boston win a championship. But that doesn't mean that's what's going to happen <laughs> because that's a damn good team, man. Yeah. And while I believe with all my heart that if Chris Middleton was available and healthy, Boston probably loses five. We can play this if this person was healthy game all the way back to the beginning of sports. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? it's, it's a futile sort of experiment. So all I can right. do is just go on what happened. The Boston Celtics, to me, they're deep. They're good. And despite the fact that Brad Stevens was able to get them to a certain place much faster than anyone predicted, particularly considering he had never coached in the NBA before, there's no doubt that either through maturation because of time or because of the head coaching switch, or who knows, maybe because they got Danny Ainge ass out of there. Who knows? <laughs> they just look like a well-oiled machine now. And if not this season, then probably next season. Or if not next season, then probably the season after that. But a championship is coming as long as that core is together. Because that team, to me, has been through the fire, right? Brown and Tatum and Smart... That squad has been together for a long time. They've seen it all. They've been through it all. And I was so amazed at the mental fortitude after the way Drew Holiday basically just embarrassed poor Marcus Smart in the closing seconds of that game. I'm amazed at the mental toughness of him because he bounced back and had a terrific game in game six. But just the team as a whole, like... I don't know. Maybe I would have clowned him a little bit, Will. Like, damn, dog. (laughs) Drew Holiday got you like that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that was twice. 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 (laughs) In critical situations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He just stripped him in the middle of the court. And it was just like, damn, dog. Yeah. But he bounced back. back. And And, and so when I think about this upcoming series with Miami versus the Celtics, I think the number one thing to look for is resilience. Because these are two teams that have dealt with injuries, disappointment, heartbreak at the hands of LeBron, <laughs> like everything. And they both are, I think, the two mentally toughest teams remaining. And that the champion is probably going to be one of them when it's all said and done because of that. Not to say that the other squads, Dallas and Golden State Warriors, haven't been through anything or that they aren't mentally tough. They are. They are. Absolutely. But... The combination of size and skill and talent and depth already, in my opinion, is in the East's favor. But the resilience that these two teams have shown over these last couple of seasons, uh, coming back from heartbreak and such, I think the conference finals in the East is going to determine who's going to be the champion for the season. 
you know, I kind of feel like we should probably talk about Ime Udoka a lot more than we yeah. do. Like, remember that we spent yeah. the last like three or four years, the Celtics have all, I mean, this has been their grand project, right? They built all those draft picks. They went after Kyrie that didn't work. And, you know, at times Tatum and Brown couldn't get along. And Horford was just an old man. And all of these things were not working out. And it was all thought that like, well, it's obviously not Brad Stevens' fault. He's the genius that mm-hmm. put this whole thing together, right? And so he leaves, brings in Udoka. And once they got it figured out, definitely not immediately, it took a half a season. Right. But once they got it figured out, this looked like a team that was not only well-coached, but believed in its coach and had that sort of kismet that you see from championship teams from time to time, which is funny because this was the most dysfunctional team in the NBA, or one of them, back before right. the Lakers took over that, sorry, before the Lakers and Nets took over oh, that. Are we not uh, dysfunctional? What are you talking about? Oh, sorry. No, of course not. Of course no, not. we just sorry. sucked. That's all. Okay. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Anyway, the point is, this is a puzzle people have been trying to figure out with the Celtics for five or six years now, and he figured it out. And to me, the play that if the Celtics make it to the finals, the play that I think will represent what people think of when they think of the Celtics teams will be that play that won the game against the Nets where they had like the six passes and then and they mm-hmm. got the shot the exact buzzer like Tatum stepping up St. Louis's own Jason Tatum and really doing what he did in game six is one thing and that's kind of what they needed to get past the Bucs but what the Celtics are about is that there were like four or five times I was like, oh, they're running out of time. They don't know what they're doing. They, they're just throwing it to see someone come to bail them out because that's usually what happens in last possessions in games when people are frantic. They're looking for the alpha dog to bail them out. That is not what they were doing. They were finding the right shot at the exact right moment. That's yep. what an extremely well-coached team that really trusts everyone on that team does. But man, they are good. And I do like them in this series because the Heat A have had clearly the easiest path so far. And I'm not saying they've, it's easy to get here, but they certainly have not had to go through the gauntlet that really everyone else that's had to, to go through to get this far has. It still feels they're requiring a lot on, okay, they need a Tyler Hero game, right? They need right. a game where they just start shooting lights out. And maybe that'll happen. But to do that consistently, I kind of do agree with the people that thought the winner of this Buck Celtics series is definitely winning in the East and maybe the whole thing. I think that's definitely the case in the East. So that means how do we feel about the West? I've got Golden State fever. And there were times in that Memphis series, particularly late, where you're like, okay, what's going on here? Like, you guys need to probably take care of this now. You want to see the Warriors maybe close it out a little more cleanly than they did. Oddly, no. In fact, it is the only uh, team in the NBA that all fans have to be billionaires. (laughs) If you understand, (laughs) all fans are billionaires. It's all virtual and in, in Bitcoin. So actually, they're all broke right now. But before then, they were all very wealthy. But you haven't seen them clicking the way they were, I think, in the first part of the Memphis series. I think they're going to have to do that. But it's funny, watching that Dallas series and watching what they did to Phoenix and watching what Luka did to Phoenix, there's a little part of me that's like, wow, the Warriors, it just feels like they could really get this going and take over. But what if Luka hits the Luka button and this whole thing is over? Because what he did in that Game 7 was... I think I joked last week, I'd love to see Giannis take over and win this whole thing and make this the Giannis era. The way Luca played in that Phoenix game, I was like, oh, wow. that We're not in the Luca era, are we? Because that was truly, truly incredible. I mean, it, it was absolutely incredible, but it also reminded me of the great run that Trey Young went on. Remember oh, his run that yeah, got the yeah. Hawks to yeah, the Eastern yeah, Conference Finals? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And those two guys obviously have been connected since being drafted together and swapped for one another. And so there's also sort of like this race as to which franchise made the best decision. Yeah. And while it's easy to get enamored with what Luca's doing now, let us not forget that Trey Young did it first, yeah. leading his team 
with incredible performances against higher seeds all the way to a conference final. Sure. The question now is, can Luka elevate this same squad over three Hall of Famers? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Which, yeah. you know, is a, is a tall ask, but it's not as if we haven't seen this team lose in the past. And I think one of the key reasons why Golden State tends to lose is how teams are able to nullify the little things that Draymond Green does to help them win. If you can nullify Draymond's influence, particularly on the offensive end with the passing, the screens, if you can get him either in foul trouble or keep the ball, this is going to sound ridiculous, but if you keep the ball out of Draymond's hands, Mm -hmm. then a lot of those crisp passes that really kind of guts you as a defense, they kind of go away a little bit. And that's how you begin to beat them. That's exactly how Memphis was able to still make this an entertaining series despite not having John Moran. They found a way to get Steven Adams and Jerry Jackson to give Draymond fits. And I don't know if Dallas has a body that can do that to Draymond. I don't know if Dallas has a defensive scheme that can do that to Draymond to frustrate him, to get him out of his mix. Because I know it sounds ridiculous because as Charles Barkley likes to call him, he's a triple single. But yeah, but his presence on the court, yeah, statistically and with the eyeball test, tells you he may not be the most talented warrior, he may not be the most valuable warrior, but you certainly wouldn't have these championships if Draymond doesn't ball out the way yeah. that he balls out and helps that team win. And I don't think Dallas has anyone that can interrupt Draymond. They may not be able to stop Luca, but what are they going to do to stop Draymond from getting easy shots? for Clay, easy shots for Steph, and easy shots to cutting Looney and, and players of that nature. It's going to be interesting to see. I just think Dallas needs Luka to just go nuclear pretty much the whole series. And boy, you know, I like using that phrase so much less than I used to. I think it requires Luka to just to basically do what he did in Game 7. That's possible. <laughs> that, that is possible. Yeah, it's, it's, it's possible, but that's not going to be enough. I think Luka can score and do great. If the Warriors are going, I don't see how Dallas yeah. can stop them. And remember, Golden State's also a great defensive team, too. <laughs> so right. the idea this is only this running gun team, I, I, I just don't see it. So I think it's Boston-Golden State. That's my prediction for the finals. Yeah, I'm leaning that way, too. All right, well, now that we've got that covered and probably wrong, let's move on to our next topic. The news that the Brittany Griner trial has been delayed at least another month in Moscow. It's been nearly three months since Russia detained WNBA star Brittany Griner. Today, a judge extended her detention by another month. These are pictures of her leaving court today, handcuffed, wearing an orange hoodie and with her head down. A consular officer from the U.S. Embassy in Moscow was able to speak with Griner today and confirmed that she is, quote, doing as well as can be expected under what can only be described as exceedingly difficult circumstances. That was an MSNBC report about WNBA star Brittany Griner who's been held in a Russian jail for almost three months after vape cartridges containing oil derived from cannabis were allegedly found in her luggage at a Moscow airport. The Biden administration said Griner, who faces a maximum penalty of 10 years in prison, is being wrongfully detained. And since she was arrested, U.S. officials have been working toward her release, but without any visible progress so far. But besides the announcement that her trial was being pushed back another month, well, we don't really know much at all. 
In fact, Danny Gilbert, a professor at the U.S. Air Force Academy and an expert at state-sponsored terrorism, told ESPN that, quote, we honestly don't know if this is good or bad news. It could mean buying time to work out a swift deal in her release, or it could mean more complications put on the table, end quote. Well, I don't know if there's anything more we can do other than hope for the best, but it's hard to feel any optimism about her situation right now, especially considering the U.S. is fighting a proxy war with Russia in Ukraine. What do you think happens next here? If you remember from the beginning in this case, we talked about this podcast, right? The weekend after that news came out that Brittany Griner had been detained, I wrote about it and it's like, why? I can't believe this isn't a bigger story. This is the one of the best players in the WNBA. And there was pushback from certain circles with the idea like, hey, we're trying to keep it quiet. We're trying to be careful. We're trying to not elevate this into a national cause. Hopefully we'll be able to negotiate with Russia without that being on the table. I don't know why anyone thought you'd ever be able to negotiate with Russia as any sort of rational actor, but I understood the mindset. The cat is clearly out of the bag at this point and they are desperate and I'm not sure they're any closer or farther away. This report that really disturbed me was the Russian state news station TASS, T-A-S-S, stands for something in Russian, I'm sure. They reported that what the Russian government was looking for in exchange for Grainer's return was the release of the man, Victor Bout, who they described as a Russian entrepreneur. But uh, most people know Victor Bout as the famous merchant of death. <laughs> He's a famous arms dealer. The, the Nicolas Cage movie, Lord of War, which is about a mm-hmm. monstrous arms dealer, is based around, inspired by him. He is, the New Yorker wrote a great piece about him calling him one of the most notorious arms dealer terrorists in world history. That is what the Russian news station released who they would want in exchange for Grainer's return. If you're wondering how this is going right now, you mentioned in the intro that she made her first public appearance. She didn't show her face. The other thing that news reports said was she was arrested because of drug smuggling. And to me, that is another sign. And listen, for the record, we have no proof or evidence at all that she really did have hashish oil. Maybe she didn't. We don't. We have, we have no idea. But the presumption that she did, A, I would argue is pretty irrelevant, but B, is still not really based on reality, speaks to the idea that they've elevated the rhetoric about this to say, now she's not a star athlete who is playing in Russia. She's a drug smuggler. They want the merchant of death in response for her. Now, her lawyer did say that the fact that they moved it back a month is a sign that once that month is over, her trial may start. So I guess that's the speedy part. But the idea that she is going on this trial while the Russian government is saying, hey, just so you know, here's how the exchange program works and who, who we might want is a sign that this situation appears to have gotten a lot worse pretty quickly. It was never good. Yeah. Even before the proxy war with Ukraine started, it was never good. Why do I say that? Because we already know that Russian and U.S. relationships were very, very tense, that both nations held prisoners that the other nation wanted released, and that neither nation was willing to negotiate or get movement. In fact, we just got back one of the captives Mm -hmm. that have been in Russia for years. Yeah. Years. We just got them back in in a similar sort of exchange that's kind of being proposed right now when it comes to Brittany Griner. So for those people who believe that this is about Brittany trying to sneak in drugs, which I've seen a lot, this has very little, if anything at all, to do with the information that's being circulated in terms of why she's being detained. And you're absolutely right, Will. 
Russia, the nation that said it had no plans of invading Ukraine not too long ago, is telling you that the superstar tried to sneak in some cannabis oil. And certainly not a large enough amount of cannabis oil to be considered uh, a drug smuggler. (laughs) If that were the case, she looks to be the least supplied drug smuggler in the history of drug smuggling businesses, based upon the images that have been circulated of what is supposed to be a package of cannabis oil. I don't have the slightest idea if she's going to come back alive. And the sad part of that statement, while the prospects of her dying in a Russian prison are certainly sad, what really saddens me is how little the nation's going to care about it because she's a WNBA star. There was a fucking missing airplane that got 24-hour coverage for like months. You can turn on television today and see Pat Beverly talk shit about Chris Paul for like three hours and not a single mention about the latest update about Brittany Griner. Or at best, it is simply a mention. There is no critical thinking. There is no emotional outpouring. They're just simply a mention. And... It just speaks to the way that we have always kind of view women in sports, right? They are sexy. They can be fun and perky, but we don't treasure them. We don't treat them with the same sort of reverence and sense of royalty that we do with their male counterparts, regardless of how successful or transformative they may have been. And I think the lack of coverage and the lack of cultural urgency And pain is a reflection of just how little we cared about the sports and women athletes in general. Now, I'm not going to sit up here and tell you that I've watched every single WNBA game this season. I have not. I certainly haven't watched every playoff game from last season. The overall point being is that regardless of the outcome, whether she comes home tomorrow or whether she never comes home at all, unfortunately, I don't think the coverage of her plight is going to do the story of her plight justice. And I know, and I think we all know, that if the best male player in basketball was captured by Russia and being held in Russia with no trial, we would be getting constant updates. We know if the best football player was being held. If Tom Brady's in Russia, we're never hearing Constant updates, right? right, right. Baseball, constant updates. We got more updates on how Big Poppy was doing after the attack in DR than we have about what's going on with Brittany Griner, who's being held in in Russia. So when I think about the lessons of this story, we can certainly talk about the economics aspect of it, which is why so many of the WNBA players go overseas to kind of supplement their income. But I think for me as a journalist and for me as an American citizen, the lack of coverage and urgency that seems to be happening in media in regards to her plight. It's just another reminder of the misogynistic nature of the way that we talk about women in sports in general, and just sort of the way that we tend to value the plight of men more than women specifically. You know, it just just sort of is what it is, in my opinion. And it's, it's sad, but that's where we are right now. I do think there was some early message confusion on this. As I said, you know, I mean, like I had people 
connected to Griner, we'll say, after I wrote that piece saying, easy, easy, easy. MSNBC and places asked me to come on and talk about the piece. And after I talked to the people that were close to Griner, they said, listen, we're trying to just keep it quiet right now. Uh, Lisa Leslie did an interview a few weeks ago saying, yeah, they told me not to make a fuss out of it. Told Lisa Leslie, by the way, like, forget <laughs> me. Don't make a fuss about Britney Griner right now. We're trying to negotiate on back channels. We're trying to keep the temperature down. We don't think a free Britney Griner movement is going to help her right now, which I totally understand. It's a right. delicate situation. But I also think an argument could be made that maybe that strategy was not the right one. I do think that there was the initial push to talk about it. And there were a lot of people said, okay, don't talk about it. And then I think once the government hit a certain, you know, Russia's putting a hard line on her and we're not going to be able to, to carefully navigate our way out of this, push the free Britney Griner button. And so then everybody pushed the free Britney Griner button, which they should do. And I'm, and I'm writing about it today and we should be talking about this all the time. The argument when I wrote my first first piece is, if this were free Tom Brady, the, hey, come on, we're trying to be quiet about Tom Brady. Don't make a big deal of that. No one would have even thought to try that. Right. <laughs> like They would have been like, you're not keeping this quiet. My general argument has always been like, I understand why they did that, but like, I'm sorry, it's a huge freaking deal when one of the best women's basketball players in the world is detained by the Russian government. The idea that you could have ever quietly negotiated that out was A, probably not realistic, and B, I would argue generally did a disrespect for how big of a deal she is. And so, right. you know, I think that is another reason that this kind of got caught in the middle. It kind of caught in the middle because there was not a consistent messaging from the beginning. And so now I think a lot of people are not responding to it, A, for the reasons that you're talking about. I would argue primarily for the reasons that you're talking about, but also because I think there was a Wait, so there was an understanding we weren't supposed to say anything. So now we say something now, which is not hard to understand, but also, you know how these things go. It's hard to get the ball rolling on anything. And I think, I think that's part of it too. All right. When we return, it is my turn to nominate <laughs> the top candidate for being the worst person in all of sports. And I won't just pick Skip Bayless again, but that would be funny. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Okay, LZ, we're back from commercial. 
Uh, I think that's a part of leadership is to have some of the guys that have gone before that uh, have been disappointed uh, to share it with everybody involved. For me, it's a reminder. I, too, have been here 23 years. And uh, it is a reminder. I've been here when it was glory hole days, and I've been here when it wasn't. And so having said that, uh, uh, I want me some glory hole. So I have that perspective. That was the sound of Jerry Jones, the owner of the Dallas Cowboys, and my top choice for being the worst person in sports as we empty the barrel of worst person insults in our penultimate show. LZ, we started this discussion last week. We ended up talking for over 15 minutes about how longtime sports columnist and TV personality Skip Bayless might actually deserve this dubious honor, but I declare equal time. We should have a show called Crossfire. Did anyone ever try that? Uh, I think that's past this day. I don't want John Stewart to come and yell at us and then Eviscerate be really terrible. Yeah, yes, and then be really <laughs> terrible 20 years later, but that's a long story. Anyway, I declare equal time. I want to bring the conversation back to Jerry Jones. So let me kick this one off and let me tell you why the owner of the most valuable sports franchise in the world is even more horrible than Skip Bayless. And I would argue better in contrast is not Skip Bayless, but Dan Snyder. Now, Daniel Snyder is also hated. And I think a lot of people would argue that if you went up to a random NFL fan and says, who's the most hated owner in sports? I would argue yep. most of them would say Daniel Snyder. And for good reason, Daniel Snyder totally sucks. <laughs> I'm not here to defend Daniel Snyder. But Daniel Snyder is very easily hateable. He's sniveling and he's sexist and he's always raising prices and he's socially awkward. He wants to be friends with Tom Cruise. Who wants to be friends with Tom Cruise? I think Tom Cruise is awesome. I'm just saying when you're that thirsty for a friendship with Tom Cruise, it's generally a bad sign. Clearly, he looks like the villain. He's the villain in many ways. You know, he never played the game. He represents the cheap owner that nobody really likes. Jerry Jones, however, I would argue is just as bad, if not worse. In fact, particularly with a lot of the issues he's had with women, they're just as bad as Snyder's, if not worse than Snyder's. But people kind of like Jerry Jones. He represents this sort of American can-do, get out of my way. The way that we pretend how rich people got rich is the way that Jerry Jones acts. <laughs> None of them got rich that way. But the way that we imagine, we didn't get it from our, our parents. So we would have had to earn it on our own, doing it our way and get out of my way and I'm doing it that way. And it has led to this idea of Jerry Jones, who like, I haven't seen Daniel Snyder in any Campbell Soup commercials. Let's put it that way. Like Jerry Jones is able to represent this sort of American thing while being just as bad or horrible of a person as Daniel Snyder, which I would argue actually does make him worse. And the contrast I would make here is this is the difference between Ted Cruz, who sucks, and Donald Trump, who sucks more. And, <laughs> and people that vote and support Ted Cruz don't like Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz looks like the politician who will prostrate himself and do whatever it takes to win. He's the definition of the sleazy politician that we all think of. Nobody wants to be Ted Cruz. Donald Trump, to a large part of the country, still feels like the manifestation of wealth. The very opposite of a self-made man, just like Jerry Jones in a lot of ways, but represents to many, many people, that's what America can do. What's the old Fitzgerald line? America doesn't have poor people. It just has uh, billions of people who feel like they are temporarily displaced millionaires. And I think that Jerry Jones represents that. The fact that Jerry Jones can do commercials and be seen as this lovable rogue when he is 
the epitome of the evil billionaire sports owner. And listen, I want Jerry Jones to live to 150 years old because life's a rich pageant. But when Jerry Jones dies, I hope the obituary picture is not him having that shit in good. It's when he knelt. Remember when he knelt and had that stupid look on his face? <laughs> like, I'm getting away with it. Look at me. Don't matter. I'm Jerry Jones. And he got away with it. It was like, wow. Wow, look at the owners are kneeling with the players. Something's changed. Something's different because Jerry Jones is doing it when he had that same shitty grin in his face that he always has. To me, Jerry Jones is the actual worst owner in sports in a way that's actually worse than Daniel Snyder. And the fact that a lot of people like Jerry Jones for it speaks to why the NFL is bad, why owners are bad, and why our billionaires are bad. And why America, in many ways, can be bad. It's so interesting because I've worked with a number of former players who were former Cowboys. Mm -hmm. And so obviously when you work with someone like that, you have an access to a lot of information that you wouldn't normally get if it was an interview situation or if we were reporting while they were in the locker room. And one of the things that's been consistent in terms of the former players that I've, I've worked with, and we're talking Super Bowl champions, mm -hmm. you know, like Keyshawn Johnson, for instance, right? And we're also talking, you know, guys who didn't do much for the organization, like Marcellus Wiley, you know, who had freely admits he did not show up able to do much to help the Cowboys win games. Freely admits it. Nonetheless, they all say the same thing, which is Jerry gets it. He gets it. And so while I agree with you that on the outside looking in, he is certainly as evil and getting away with as much crap that Dan Snyder wish he can get away with. <laughs> There's something about the way he approaches players and the way he approaches being the face of the franchise. The charisma gives him grace. And these guys love him, man. Former players still show up to Dallas just to hang out with Jerry. I don't know any other owner that gets it like that. Where gets the former what, players though? just to, just the, the, the players like him? The players love him, man. You, I mean, first of all, you got to remember, Jerry thinks he's a player. <laughs> I don't doubt that. So that's first, right? right? He thinks he's one of the ballers and has always felt that way and have always approached managing the team that way. Not as necessarily from on high, but hey, guys, we're all in this together. And, you know, that's how the NBA became successful, yeah. by tearing down the employer-employee sort of division and trying to make it feel like a partnership. What Jerry has perfected is the presentation of partnership while still very much maintaining the separation of owner and player. Yeah, that's so why I hate him. Things, <laughs> that's yeah, only so why I hate him. So you do things like <laughs> kneel next to the players, and the players sort of kind of think he's down with them. Meanwhile, he, he's has this grin. They say, hey, I got away with another one. Right? Yeah, that's why I hate him. And, and <laughs> I know that's why you hate him, but I'm telling you, man, it's hard to fight that <sighs> because he's also not just touching base or identifying these players from a charismatic point of view. He's also responsible for a lot of generational wealth, particularly among black players, because he has been Jerry Jones for so long. And he has been able to change the fortunes of so many black men that it's hard to get them to say the bad things about Jerry because he acts like them. He parties with them. He parties without them in ways they wish they could party with them. And he signed the check. 
Like, I, I guess it's that's hard, man. It's hard to fight all of that, man. I don't know how you. I don't know how we. I, I, sure, if we go under the premise that NFL owners are responsible for a lot of generational wealth for black men because they signed the check, then hey, Bill Bidwell, what an awesome dude. Who doesn't love that guy? We really don't believe that NFL owners actually have earned that sort of. No, of course that, not. But no, so the fact that Jerry Jones is charismatic is the one. Jerry's the one owner, though, Will, who's found a way to make <laughs> it feel good. Yeah, to make it feel good. I don't know. There are I, so I, many yeah. stories I've heard, man, that I cannot repeat. <laughs> yeah. I think I've a sense of what some of the ways might be, though. <laughs> but just, just if you just take what you do know, uh-huh. just imagine what you don't. And that's all yeah. I'm going to say about that. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine. Speaking of some of the issues that Daniel Snyder may have had with women and Jerry Jones may have had with women, and I, whatever, I get... He's kind of an avatar for a certain sort of American or even Texan, really, notion of going big and getting what you want and having everything. I get it. I understand. But it's bad that we celebrate that. <laughs> like, I just, I honestly believe that it's bad that we celebrate that. I guess it's why he's gotten away with it, that he's made mm-hmm. people, but that doesn't make what he's done any better. In fact, I would argue it makes it even more duplicitous. But again, I am perhaps just immune to the whims of all, or almost all Texans, perhaps that's it. I don't like it when people get away with it. <laughs> maybe this is an old, maybe I've, I've read too many fables in uh, Psalms, but uh, at a certain level, I feel like you're, you're not supposed to get away with it. And uh, he always gets away with it. He does get away with it. And guess what? He's probably gonna keep getting away with it. Oh, I don't doubt that. And now, Will, it's time for This Week in Sports History, where we break down an event from the past through the lens of 2022. The Chicago Bulls pick Michael Jordan of the University of North Carolina. The next pick goes to the Dallas Mavericks. So Michael Jordan, who right now is in Bloomington getting ready for the upcoming Olympics, and this man is a can't-miss. Whether a guard spot or the forward, at 6'6", 195 pounds, comes out after his junior season from North Carolina. You just heard from the former commissioner, the late, great David Stern, announcing what arguably was the greatest pick in the history of the NBA draft when the Chicago Bulls selected Michael Jordan third overall back in 1984. Now, Will... I don't want to talk about how Portland blew it by taking Sam Bowie number two, setting back their franchise for years, if not decades. That's old news, news. though not to them. (laughs) And I don't want to debate who's the greatest player ever, which usually comes down to Michael Jordan on LeBron. That's a tired conversation as well that's probably being had by people right now. But what I do want to discuss about Michael and LeBron, I want to discuss them as men. Because the biggest difference between them isn't that Michael has six championships to LeBron's four, or that LeBron has more all-star game appearances than Michael, and is probably going to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as the all-time leading scorer. No, the biggest difference between Michael Jordan and LeBron James is that LeBron, Jordan looks like he's a happy dude, and Michael always appears to be completely miserable. Well, is Michael Jordan the unhappiest superstar of all time? All right, so I love that we're talking about this, because this is the long game with LZ and Leach conversation about Jordan and LeBron. This is what's interesting because I always think of Wright Thompson's great, great piece about Mm -hmm. Michael Jordan's 50th birthday and basically how Jordan is 
He's just a miserable person. He is constantly <laughs> going to be swinging at demons. He's always going to have to climb a mountaintop that isn't there. He's going to have to destroy some sort of hater that doesn't exist. There's always some sort of win, not just a win, but the loss of someone else that he has to make happen. And when you're like 55 or 56 and no offense to the Hornets, but things aren't taken off over there. It's this empty, endless abyss, this maw at your center that I think you can make a great argument made him such a great player. I think the Bradford Smith was the famous player who didn't even really insult Jordan, but Jordan just made up an insult to him so right. he could personally destroy him. While that becomes in, th in shows like The Last Dance, the whole legend of Jordan is what a competitor that he'll destroy this totally unassuming person that asks for none of this and is just trying to go about their day like the rest of normal humanity. What a competitor. He'll do that. And I look at them like, man, what an unhappy, miserable prick. And that is that is actually what I felt watching The Last Dance. While like it was fun, very nostalgic for my high school and college experience. But I was like, man, I think I've spent enough time in the company of Michael Jordan right now. I feel like he's just a kind of a miserable guy. To me, the thing that I like about LeBron, and this is what I think LeBron opened the door to. You know what? You can be a great basketball player. You can maybe even be the greatest basketball player of all time without having to be this all-consuming, bottomless pit of empty competitiveness. Because LeBron James, obviously, pretty competitive guy. <laughs> like, won a lot of championships, wants to do great. I always thought that Kobe never really figured out who he was until he stopped trying to become Jordan. In many ways, he's kind of that middle guy between part Jordan and becoming more who Kobe probably was and really wanted to be, which was someone that had more things going on than just empty maw at his core while still being this greatly competitive person. Whatever your thoughts about Jordan or LeBron as, as, as the best player, to me, every time I think about the two of them, I'm like, man, I don't know who's better, but man, I would want to be LeBron James so much more than I would want to be Michael Jordan. I don't think anyone should ever want to be like Mike. <laughs> I think he's just a miserable, unhappy person who is capable of doing great achievements. But I think his grand mistake was thinking that was the only way to win. And I think that has led to a whole generation of people that write and talk about the NBA, fortunately more on the older side, who believed it. They were like, well, Gotta be a miserable prick to win. Remember that, that all-star game where LeBron didn't take the last shot and Jordan right. and Kobe harangued him? And it's like, no, it, he passed it because that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> Obviously, there's still alpha dog moments in the NBA, but it's more interesting than that. And it's more complex than that. And it's more evolved than that. And I'm glad we've moved on from the Jordan thing. I definitely can understand why people from the outside looking in would certainly view Michael Jordan as miserable. I don't know if he is or not. I'll be honest with you. I haven't spent any personal time with him at all. Everything's been on the outside looking in, seeing him at events, seeing him at games, seeing him play, but never like just hanging out and just talking with him. So I don't know. Other than six um, hours of a documentary that he produced, and it was nothing but mostly but that, his grievances. I mean, but even that wasn't really, you know, <laughs> right, right. that's you putting your best foot forward at all times, right? Right, right. But very, very. That's not us just kind of observing you standing in a line waiting for ice cream. <laughs> right. I've not um, done that. Well, that's when you find out how, who a person really is. Yeah. Especially if they sit in a long line just to get vanilla. I just, I don't trust <laughs> those people. <laughs> um, the thing that I think that separates them is their definition of success. And again, 
I hadn't spent a lot of time with Michael Jordan personally, but it feels as if he's motivated by a hate for losing. And LeBron appears to be more motivated by an enjoyment of victory. And when you hate to lose, you are constantly looking for ways to keep your edge going. And when you love to win, you're constantly looking for ways to come out on top. And I know that sounds like I'm splitting hairs, but I really feel that a person who hates to lose will do some of the things that we've heard about Michael Jordan in terms of constantly trying to gamble. Because his high doesn't come from being successful. His high comes from victory. (laughs) I think LeBron's high comes from success. And yeah, I'm sure he still compares his success to others, but I don't think he compares his, his success to others and comes with a conclusion that in any way devalues his own success. I feel that Jordan, part of the reason why he creates these slights is so that he's constantly looking not to lose. And it's hard to no longer be a professional athlete when what drives you is a desire not to lose. You know, I think it's easier to accept where you are in life when you enjoy winning. And it's one of these sort of like almost a metaphysical sort of approach to life in general. You know, the idea of stopping to smell the roses, if you will. We know both of their backgrounds. They've been heavily reported. I always consider LeBron James to be the greatest American story because where he was and how he started and where he is and how he's been able to get there is nothing short of miraculous and inspirational. And not to take anything away from Michael Jordan at all, but obviously if you get to grow up in a two-parent household with a level of stability versus LeBron James, who at times experienced homelessness, It just shapes the way you view happiness, I think, differently. And certainly it can have the potential to shape what drives you as an adult. And again, I think the reason why he keeps saying that kid from Akron is because he himself still is in awe that this shit happened the way that it happened. And I think the reason why Michael Jordan wanted to take Magic Johnson on during the All-Star weekend, suggesting they go lace him up and go (laughs) play one-on-one, is because Jordan is still seeking for ways not to lose because he hasn't accepted this one truth that we all witness from the outside in. Dog, you already won. (laughs) You already won. But he's not motivated by winning. He's motivated by not losing. And so in order to not lose, he first needs to be in competitive mode. And I think that's the reason why he always looks miserable because he's always in competition. I mean, remember his Hall of Fame speech? Like, my God, yeah. I guarantee you LeBron ain't making no Hall of Fame speech like that. No, <laughs> like, no, LeBron no, will be about the kid, his speech will be about the kid from Akron and yeah. all the things he's been able to do. And listen, I think clearly there's a contrast between the two people. The thing that I like the most in this particular conversation about LeBron is he's disproven the Jordan theory which permeated itself throughout the way that sports in many ways, particularly the NBA, were discussed for decades. You can't look at Charles Barkley's career and be like, wow, never got over the hump, huh? Like, he's amazing. (laughs) What he did was incredible. Dan Marino would be another great example of this. The idea in any other context that they had some sort of down career is all based on this whole idea, like, what's the old uh, line from Talladega Nights? Your first or your last? I think Jordan's 
idea, and many people followed him in this, media, players, coaches, so on. Their idea was, if you don't win a championship, you're a failure. And if you don't win every championship and you don't have people looking at you thinking, God, I never was able to beat them. I'm a loser compared to him. And if you challenge him again, he's going to destroy me again, which is, I imagine, what is in Jordan's head at all times, which is sad. Like, that's really, really sad. I don't think it's just a sports thing. You and I work in competitive industries. I've met people before who I see them. I'm like, you really don't actually want to be successful. You want to beat me or you want to beat this person or you want to show your dad that he sucks. They're not driven by success. They're driven uh-huh. by, as you talk about, victory or often in the case of Jordan, other people's failure. That to me, it curdled and really manifested itself in Jordan's pretty infamous Hall of Fame speech, which now in a lot of ways is known for the crying Jordan meme, which is really very <laughs> strange because if the whole thing would have been Jordan crying, so I bet LeBron cries at his Hall of Fame thing, oh, but yeah. it will be a different kind of cry. Jordan was crying, not because of this big emotional moment. That whole speech is just full of anger and frustration and rage. You feel bad. And I think that's what LeBron did. He showed, you know what? LeBron's been the NBA Finals and not won. He's had years like last year where he didn't even make the playoffs. And you know what? No reasonable human, skip Bayless aside, thinks that LeBron James is anything other than a great champion. I'm glad that LeBron has helped wean us off of that conversation in a way that now I think even allows players to talk about mental health and talk about their journeys in a way that I feel like the Jordan world didn't allow. Just one more thing, though. If the Lakers don't win a championship next year, he's a failure. Yeah, of course, of course. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, obviously, obviously. <laughs> they got to trade him and keep us. And, Halas, that's our show for this week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the penultimate episode of The Long Game with LZ and Leach. The Long Game is produced by Pierre Bienname, Megan Burney, Mark Levine, and Marshall Eisen. Music is by Gloria Tells, with some sound design by David Wilson. Join us for our grand finale next Wednesday. It's going to be very emotional. And at the end, Bobby Ewing will be in the shower and will say it was all just a dream. So I can definitely date myself with a very cool hip. Correct reference. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.